Welcome to Entry Points, the Miller ICA podcast about art and ideas from Carnegie Mellon University. I am your host, Elizabeth Chodos. Hello, I'm here today with Janera Solomon, the executive director of Kelly Strayhorn Theater. And I thought we could just start by, um, Janera, maybe you could tell us a little bit about KST, what it does, and how you got involved. Great. Thank you. So Kelly Strayhorn Theater is intentionally a community-centered contemporary arts presenter. And those are a lot of words that sometimes that don't typically go together, uh, community-centered and contemporary performing arts. But that's what we are. That's what we're about. We're located in East Liberty, which is a Pittsburgh East End neighborhood. That's kind of an intersection and hub kind of neighborhood of very diverse neighborhoods, a set of neighborhoods that are diverse in terms of race and class and ethnicities and histories. And our theater sits right at the intersection that's Mm -hmm. the hub of those. I've been involved now, this is my 10th season as director, so... As one of my younger friends says, I'm still alive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in the 10 years, we have, I think, really shepherded forward in Pittsburgh some conversations about what does contemporary performance mean? What does it look like? Mm -hmm. What are the questions that artists are asking? What are the aesthetics? What are the approaches? And it's, it's been really wonderful to see an audience grow for that kind of work and to see the things that we are presenting start to impact the community. Mm-hmm. And so we do, we do that. We have two venues on Penn Avenue, which is the main street here. One venue is an old cinema mm-hmm. that's, that's more than 100 years old that's been converted to a performing arts space, a proscenium stage. And the other is a multi-art space that has two dance studios and offices and, and is a much newer building. Mm-hmm. And they're about four blocks apart. It really gives us, a, I think, a really interesting footprint in terms of just the neighborhoods we serve. They're very different. Just within those four blocks, it's very, yeah. it's very different. Uh, but we're both neighborhood-focused with a national and international right. profile and interest. And that's always been my interest to try to be both of those things. Right, right. Relevant to a hyper-local community, but also engaged in a conversation that's happening in all the big cities and, yeah, across the pond. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit more about the early days of your time there, because I think I'm new to Pittsburgh, and when I go see Kelly Strayhorn, I see this thriving organization that has all these programs happening and bringing in all these artists from all over the country and also fostering amazing support for the community here. Mm-hmm. But I think that maybe was a very different story uh, <laughs> 10 years ago when you walked in the door. And what was that like and how did you get there? Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that question because, yes, we have a way of looking at things, you know, the way they look now. So let me say two things. First, the, the theater, the organization was formed in 1999, mm-hmm. and between 99 and 2007 had had a series of closings or near closings, several different uh, directors, board structures, et cetera. So it was not exactly smooth sailing. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, because sometimes when you start something new, that's how it goes. 
I came in 2008, and this has been the longest continuously operating time the organization's ever had. And yeah, when I started, there were two people on staff. Uh, actually, there were technically three, but because of the financial situation that I discovered or sort of was told, you know, when I first started, we actually ended up having to terminate a position like within my first three weeks on the job. Yeah. So that was <laughs> that was a hard start. But we started with that with not not enough money, not a lot of money to staff people and a mandate from people in the community and others to make something happen. Mm-hmm. So for me, it seemed to make sense to do at least two things. One, I really spent a lot of time walking the neighborhood, mm-hmm. talking to people, introduce myself to the business owners, to the social service agencies, everybody who would take my call or meeting and ask them what would they like to see mm-hmm. happen. And some people have very specific ideas. They say, oh, I want to see more jazz or I want to see more family programs. But then most people said, well, it doesn't, we don't know that it matters. We want it to be vibrant. We want it to be something that resonates. We want it to matter to people Mm -hmm. that the theater is there. So that was kind of living with me. And then the fact that we have Gene Kelly, who is, uh, you know, film star, American musical star, famous for Singing in the Rain and American in Paris and a bunch of other movies. His name's on our building. And we have Billy Strayhorn, Mm -hmm. who's less famous in in a certain kind of way, African-American jazz composer, queer, most famous for um, the music he wrote for Duke Ellington Mm -hmm. and Duke Ellington Orchestra. So you have two artists whose names are on a building, two very different artists, Mm -hmm. very different backgrounds, aesthetics, and everything. But nevertheless, two artists' names are on this building, not a donor name, not sort of some generic name like East Liberty Arts Center. And so I decided to really think about what that meant. What would it mean to be Mm artist-centered, given that we had the two artists on our Mm -hmm. building? So that kind of lofty, I guess, idea paired with the reality of the amount of money in the bank. Mm -hmm. (laughs) just led us to start thinking about residencies. Mm -hmm. What did we have available? We had space. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we didn't have a lot of money, but we had some Mm -hmm. to be able to say to artists, we want to offer this space and some resource to do something. Mm -hmm. And I decided to focus on a very specific, a kind of narrow area of, well, let's support people who are taking a risk with their work. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why I wanted to do that other than um, just looking around Pittsburgh at the time and feeling like, we had so many offerings, and we still do now, but uh, I wanted to see us kind of push, like, what would it look like if we took more risk with the work? Mm-hmm. And when I say risk, I'm, you know, I'm talking about uh, the things that are scary. <laughs> you know, what if the work addressed topics that were mm-hmm. difficult? Or what if the experience was somehow really different? Mm-hmm. Um, or what if they bodies on stage were very different from what we're used to seeing. Like, what are the ways that we could mm-hmm. try something new, really mm-hmm. push ourselves? So that's what I was thinking about and decided to focus our residency programs on. Mm-hmm. So our first residency artists were people like Dan Jemmet, who doesn't live here anymore. Uh, he had a theater company, and he had a residency with us to do a, a take on Faust. We had uh, Zany Umbrella Circus. We had Alia Music, a bunch of different groups. But the idea was how can you do something different from what you've been doing before? Right. And then 
from that, this idea of, okay, well, can we support a singular artist's vision to make a work, mm-hmm. like, throughout a process? And so Kyle Abraham was the first mm-hmm. artist that we, that we did that with, with his production of ra- the radio show, his piece, the radio show. Fast forward 10 years. <laughs> that's been the, that's the, that's the ground that everything else sort of grows from, mm-hmm. stands on. It's like this commitment to resonating with the community, with our neighbors, and being a place for artists to take risks. And over time, it evolved. People started to say they wanted to see more of it. And mm-hmm. then there were other ish- there were issues that were coming forward in the community. And it's like, okay, well, we, we have a way we can respond to that. And the, the organization, we've, it's been growing around that. So, you know, I read a lot of nonprofit arts management books, <laughs> as I'm sure other EDs do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there are lots of practical things about building your donor base and marketing to audiences mm-hmm. and communicating with funders and having strategic plans. And we've had two very successfully executed strategic plans and building the board. And, you know, you were an ED, mm-hmm. so you know about I all know. that. Yeah, oh, I know. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. So doing all those very practical things, too. Yeah. And always staying committed to the art and the mm-hmm. mission. I find that with, yeah, having been a recovering executive director <laughs> exactly. myself, um, that there's the ways in which you do try to educate yourself and learn all these management strategies and best practices and build your organization to model those structures and processes and have good governance and all of those things. But in a way, that's very generic. And I also think that Probably a criticism I would have, some of that would be that it models itself a little too strongly on for-profit kind of logic, the for-profit logic, Mm -hmm. when the whole economy that supports it is completely uh, different than anything related to a for-profit. I mean, the the value proposition is completely different. Exactly. Um, And then there's a difficulty I found... I was lucky to work at organizations with great boards, but Mm -hmm. there's always this structural issue with a nonprofit where there's this volunteer board of governance who doesn't have their hands in the day-to-day experience of running the organization. They meet a few times a year, and you're supposed to communicate through pieces of paper and maybe a slideshow (laughs) what it means to run this place and what it means to the community and what it means to the people it's serving. Um, and yet this group has a lot of power, but they don't necessarily have the lived experience of a day-to-day knowledge of what the organization is and is offering and what its real value is. So it, you know, it flattens out on a budget sheet or a balance sheet, but it doesn't, you know, say, oh, we, you know, made our budget projections and everyone's really happy about that. But, (laughs) but it, you know, it's missing something. And I think that you have a very strong and interesting sort of organizational philosophy and you have different ways of yeah running a fiscally responsible and organizationally healthy place but also trying to infuse it with some of these other values that you're bringing to be supporting risky artwork or being artist-centered and those things are you know are practice they're more than just words they're practice and Mm -hmm. I'm curious to hear you talk about that a little bit more yeah it's hard people are always saying you know to nonprofit EDs well look why don't you look more at the for-profit model go to business school take these courses uh and the truth of the matter is that for-profit businesses fail all the time yes they do there's a (laughs) myth 
there's a consistent myth that, oh, they've got the right answers. We should be more like them. Meanwhile, they're failing every day. I think, yes, are there, are there strategies around management and, and people and resource management? Yeah, sure. There are best practices and there are things that work. And at the same time, we are selling something that you cannot measure the value of. I mean, how do you measure pride? How do you measure inspiration? How do you measure imagination? How do you measure love? Like, these are not things, I mean, you could try to measure them, <laughs> but they can't really ever be measured. No. And that's the business we're in. Yeah. So, you know, is it a challenge uh, trying to fit these other ways of measuring things? Yes. What I've been trying to do is to think about changing the metrics, like changing what we consider success. Uh, I have a lot of gray hair for all you listeners out there, so. <laughs> it's, it's very beautiful. <laughs> sparkling, in Thank the, you. sparkling in the light. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how successful I've been, but, you know, for example, yes. Do we measure ticket sales? Sure. Earn revenue? Yes. Here's something else we measure. We measure how long our audiences stay in the theater after a show. If they stay for a while, that's been a good one. Mm-hmm. If they rush right out, mm, <laughs> might still be good, but we need to talk about it. Yeah. We measure the number of times people say, I met someone new here or I brought someone new with me. We document when people say, this makes me feel like I want to get back in the studio. Mm-hmm. Or I used to make dance or I used mm-hmm. to write. And then I went and got an accounting degree because that was more practical, but I still miss writing. Like, we listen for things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, for me, it's about, if we're going to meet our missions, it's really about shifting the, the, the measures of success or mm-hmm. at least making them more expansive mm-hmm. so it's not only mm-hmm. um, balance sheet mm-hmm. measures. It's also creative expression and community measures. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's a hard sell. You know, there aren't too many books on the bookshelves. None. No. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of books on the bookshelves, to your point. And also, it's a retraining of people's expectations who, on the board, I mean, a lot of these folks, I think, too, nonprofit leaders are encouraged to add people to their board who can contribute financially. Yeah. That's one of the major roles. And a lot of that is a result of people who are often very successful at business. And so that's the hat they wear. They know how to be successful at that in that Mm -hmm, way. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this is a very different proposition. So getting them to listen to measures of love. I know. (laughs) It's like, how do we do that? How do we we present this in a way where they're going to listen to this measure of love or, you know, devotion to, you know, conversation and everyone's different. And some people are much more skilled at opening their minds to that, but it's not something you're trained to do either in school or in your everyday life. It's something that it's like another responsibility the ED has to contextualize that and help them understand the meaning and how you measure it, how you, what the metric is, how you kind of come to an agreement on that. It's hard because, and I think what we're trying to do and we're trying to get better at this is have artists and people in our community tell that story as well. So it's not only KST staff saying, well, look, we're changing the way we we think about this, but really having artists who can talk about what the opportunity has meant to them and why. You know, that's going to get us so far. I still think as as an overall community, you know, cities have to say this is valuable. 
it's valuable to have a space in our city that does this. Right. Uh, funders have to say it's valuable to have a space in our city that makes room for difficult conversations or supports artists who mm-hmm. are uh, who are non-traditional, in quotes. Mm-hmm. There has to be a bigger community mandate mm-hmm. in order for it to really thrive. Right. It's the mission that, that when people got together back in the late 90s and said, we want to save this building and prevent it from being torn down. Yeah. Their idea was to have a vibrant place that they could go to mm-hmm. um, and be inspired by. I, mean, mm-hmm. I think that was the idea. So that's what that's what we're attempting to do. Yeah. So as someone who's worked to incubate and support a lot of new projects and generate a lot of new work through residencies, but also bringing them in. But when you've seen an artist come in and have a really successful process, mm-hmm. start somewhere and end up somewhere else, and it's been really good, yeah. um, what does that look like and what contributes to that? So that's a great question, I think. And it looks differently depending on the stage of the artist. So for emerging, in quotes, you know, so folks who've maybe maybe fresh out of school or just really new mm-hmm. to a process, success looks like being able to articulate some ideas to stay dedicated and focused on those ideas for some period of time to then show something, so to share that. So if it's a visual artist sharing the work in some way, if it's a performance artist sharing it in some way, whatever it is, sharing the work and then receiving feedback Hmm. and taking that feedback as a set of learnings. Mm -hmm. If you do that and (laughs) then you do it again and again and again as an emerging artist, that looks like success. Uh, At least that's one way. I think artists who have more experience, it's then about like kind of clearing away clutter sometimes. Mm. You know, when you're 50 some years old and you're making a new work, you have lots of, I don't want to say clutter, but you have a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You've got your history as an artist. You've got Mm -hmm. your reputation as an artist. You've got Mm. your past collaborators, maybe Mm -hmm. your favorite collaborators Mm -hmm. that that have now become your friends. Right. You've got all these things. And so then the question is, what can you clear away to get to mm. whatever is the essence of the current idea? Mm. So Ralph Lemon talked about this when mm. he did a talk at Kelly Strayhorn not too long ago about how difficult it was uh, as he started to change as an artist, as he became, quote, mid-career mm-hmm. and, and wanted to make shifts and changes and wanted to kind of figure out where he, who he had become now. I mean, there's who you start out as and the right. ideas you start and then it's what you become. So I think that's a harder challenge. And so the artists who work through that um, successfully, they're doing the same things yeah. in terms of being focused and having a timeline, a plan and all of that. But then they're also really being clear about being ready for change. Along the way, though, I think there are some other key things yeah. that are so, just super basic, uh, like saying thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just thank you. Thank you to my funders. Thank you to my audiences. Thank you to the presenter or the curator that yeah. invested in me. Thank you to the reviewer that came to my show. Thank you to my friends. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Right. I think rigorous self-reflection hmm. is probably a good idea. I mean, you know, when I see Camille Brown, uh, Kyle Abraham, Nora Chipamari, David Rousseff, Andre Kozlowski, I mean, there are a bunch of people I can name where they are so rigorous in their thinking about their work. Right. It's inspiring. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes me think about my work. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then I think just figuring out how to stay curious and, and uh, 
Give yourself opportunities to try to keep unpeeling. There's always more potential, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I'm interested in this idea of gratitude also because, you know, when you listed all the people to thank, what it really made me think about was how much a successful artwork, again, like a successful business, all of these things that actually achieve that sort of level of success or fame are sometimes attributed to the artists, but have a community and of oh. support that mm-hmm. made them possible. Like mm-hmm. the, that it's, there's this false notion that if you're a genius, you can just make it happen. But <laughs> I mean that you need that too. You need yeah. the intelligence and the talent to make something happen. But in fact, um, a successful project is the work of many hands. Oh, for sure. I mean, the genius is just the start. There are plenty of geniuses no one's ever heard of. Right. I mean, every community has geniuses that are unrecognized or underrecognized or underutilized. Or, so it's that, that I think sometimes people do get a little confused that, you know, it's their talent or someone else's talent that's enough. And it's like, well, no. Uh, yes, you need the talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need the insight. But then you need all the other things that come with that, the discipline, the rigor, the commitment. And then you need other people to buy in. Yeah. And that, that part of it is, um, and at different levels. And what worries me sometimes about arts conversations that we always, when artists get together or arts presenters get together, you say, well, what do you need? They say, we need more money. We need more space. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> or perhaps you do. But you might also need to collaborate more, or you might also need some deeper thinking about your ideas, or you might also need uh, some time to rest and reflect on your ideas. Like, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, in order for this all to work and these brilliant works of art to live out in the world, there are a whole bunch of things we need. Right, right. And to challenge ourselves to think more expansively about what those needs are as opposed to just, oh, money and space or, you know, those easy, tangible things. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more, there's a lot more to it. Yeah. And one more thing about that, Elizabeth, is like for me right now, someone says, well, what do you need a Kelly Stramer theater to take it to the next level? Do I need more money? Do we need more money? Yes. Uh, Do we need better spaces? Sure. But the thing I would pay for (laughs) more than any of that is more people who are willing to say, yes, I'm with you. Hmm. Because when you have, yes, I'm with you, then we together can go do something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So find me that. I will. I will. <laughs> Thank you, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. um, before we wrap up, is there anything that you want to share that you're excited about coming up either at KST or otherwise? Well, I'm super excited about our Black Radical Imagination Project. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm excited about that the Carnegie International is still here, and we're going to be we're yeah. taking visiting artists to that. There's so many great things. City of Asylum has great programming. You know, Alicia Wormley's uh, Black People in the Future Project. Yeah. There are a lot of great. Pittsburgh is, we've got great things going on. Yeah. And at KST, uh, we're happy to support it and be part of it. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. To learn more about Genera and the Kelly Strayhorn Theater, you can visit kelly-strayhorn.org. More episodes of Entry Points can be found on the various section of our website at miller-ica.cmu.edu. See you next time.